0: a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot bot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com
1: as i said i became a single parent um, with a two-year-old and a five-year-old and um i was um executive director of Pricewaterhouse in canberra at that stage And we used to have our partner meetings at 7 o'clock in the morning. And one morning I said to the senior partner, I think it's time that um, the firm paid for my childcare in the mornings because you're requiring me to come to these meetings. And one of the other partners said, well, you chose to become a single parent. Hey, I'm Natalie Drenovac and welcome to The
2: Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. This week, we're doing it a little bit differently as I'm interviewing not one but two incredibly important women in my life to take a look at feminism through the generations by sitting down with Jenny Morowska and Lisa Schoenstein. Jenny is a powerhouse of a woman with seven degrees under her belt and a list of current positions held that reads like it's what someone could have achieved in an entire lifetime. She's now CEO of the Morowska Group and has previously been CEO of a biotech company, a senior executive in banking. One of the most senior women in the Australian federal government and an executive director of a big four consulting company, she has achieved all of this whilst also being a single mum raising two children. In her inverted commas spare time, Jenny continues to sit on several boards and committees as she truly believes that everyone can make a difference. It's genuinely no wonder that she had such an immediate impact on Lisa and I when we first met. Jenny truly is a woman who has the capacity to empower every other woman in her vicinity. In contrast, Lisa, although soaring, is in the earlier stages of her career. With big ambitions and aspirations, she has three degrees and is a published author. She truly is genuinely passionate about bettering women's strides towards equality in the workplace and breaking down misconceptions, stereotypes, and barriers for success. And for those who've heard my intro trailer episode, you'll also know she just happens to be my wife, so she has insisted I keep her intro short and sweet. Jenny and Lisa, thank you both so much for joining me today. Uh, I wanted to jump into a bit of a rapid fire to kick off and learn a couple of quirky facts about you both. So, Jenny, I'll start with you. What would what would be the one word your friends would use to describe you? Hyper energetic, upfront. Who was your first celebrity crush? Absolutely no idea. Lisa, Julia Roberts. You stole that from me. What's the one book that's had the greatest impact on you?
1: There's no one book that's had the greatest impact on me. Books have impact on me all the time and I read relentlessly. I love them. Oh, memoirs of a geisha.
2: What do you wish you had of known when you started out?
1: Started out my career? Yeah. To chill. Let's not worry about stuff.
0: Um, I would say that other people's opinions don't matter as much as you think
1: they do.
2: And lastly, who is a female role model for you and why?
1: My grandmother. Why is that? She was a journalist and the first editor of the Women's Weekly. And she was at university in the 1800s and the most incredible Australian. That's so cool. Hmm. I
0: would say currently... Hillary Clinton, just because of her perseverance and dealing with what is a mass amount of shit. That is completely true.
1: Okay,
2: so I wanted to also share with everyone a bit of the champagne story and how we all met just for context for why you both are joining me today because uh, Lisa and I were on our way home from London just after Lisa had proposed to me. And we're in the lounge and she says, I'm going to go grab some champagne uh, so we can celebrate. And lo and behold, she came back with champagne and Jenny and our friendship has kicked off from there and what's been so amazing for me is the fact that every time we hang out with you uh, you're such a successful woman yet there's such a unique interaction that we both always walk away with after being with you And so I wanted to have you both join me. And so uh, I was sharing with you earlier, I couldn't have thought it to be better time that last night we saw On the Basis of Sex with the notorious Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, and one of the first women to be elected on the US Supreme Court because it so starkly reminded Lisa and I of how far we've come and the women that have walked before us and paved the way. And so, Jenny, you know, my overarching purpose of this podcast is really to explore what is a modern woman. And so I'm intrigued to know what your definition of a modern woman is today versus one
1: or what may have been one 30 years ago. Gee, that's a very complex question. Um, For me, a a modern woman is somebody that knows who she is, believes in herself and does what she believes in. I wasn't that person 30 years ago. And so um, there were people like that. I think today that more women have that self-courage.
2: Was there something that so distinctly helped you craft into the woman you are today then?
1: Getting older, worrying less about things, having children, realising, as as Lisa said, that not everybody's going to like you um, and chilling out a bit more, not taking life quite as seriously. Um,
0: I think for me it's just being in tune with the world you live in. And <clears throat> I think for my generation... We, we do know better because we've seen those who came before us and what feminism looked like, and now we are very close to equality. And so being a modern woman today is being connected to that as well as being connected to yourself and not having to be a stereotype
2: or aspire for something that you personally don't want yourself. Well,
1: do you both think that in 30 years a modern woman will look different with all the progression that's happening? I would hope so. Although it's interesting, Lisa, I'm not sure I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think that um, women have always aspired to be who they are. It's just that the context has changed. So 30 years ago, the things that perhaps held us back or um, restricted us are different. But I'm I'm not convinced that we have that equality yet. I I don't think men or women have complete freedom to be who they are or that society is structured in such a way that we can be.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, um, and it's based on other conversations that we hear around for other people, is that, yes, it's it's good to have a career and be, I guess, progressive in being able to achieve that. And, that's ba- and it wasn't available to as many women 30-odd years ago. But I think now there's a struggle that to be a feminist and also to be just, just, and I use inverted commas there, a mother or someone who stays at home and to not pursue a career – You can still be a modern woman or feminist and connect with that aspiration, I guess, was
1: what I was trying Mm. to draw a line between. I guess, you know, it's interesting because I have a daughter who's just had her second child and I watch the fact that she's got more structural benefits. For example, in her career, she gets maternity leave, things we didn't have and so on. But there's still a societal, I think a bit like you're saying, there's still this pressure on her to, um, when do you tell work you're pregnant? How do you juggle you're leaving? How do you do the re-entry? She's, she's still got a very small child and she's worrying about work. When's she going to get back? What does it mean? How's she going to manage it? And I'm not sure that that's changed at all. I mean, I went straight back to work when my kids were six weeks old because it's, it, we didn't have maternity leave. It was all I could do. So, and I, and I look at uh, my son-in-law, who technically can have three months paternity leave, but culturally, it's very difficult for him to take that time, and in terms of career and progression. So I think for men and women, and so for me, the modern woman is someone that stands among people, um, we've still got a long way to kind of get that real equality of humanity I was going to jump onto motherhood lady, later, but
2: I feel like now that we're there, I did want to know though, Jenny, because even as you said that, the fact that you didn't have uh, maternity leave or anything like that, do you think that in your generation that you either sacrifice something when it came to your children or you sacrifice something when it came to your work,
1: wanting to be a mother and have a career? Oh, of course. Yes. Um, I think that it's interesting because I asked both my children this question because I did go back to work um, when they were very, very young and juggled and then became a single parent when they were two and five. So they spent a lot of their time being carted from A to B and jumping on planes with me and coming to conferences and coming into my office in early mornings and and all sorts of things. And yet when I talk to both my kids, they say, no, we wouldn't have had it any other way. So maybe parental guilt is something, it's just an existential guilt that we all have. It doesn't matter whether you're 30 years ago, 60 years ago or 30 years into the future, I don't know. Do you think, though, or I'm curious to know, was it a
2: choice for you to have a child or was it just an absolute expectation? Because, for example, Lisa and I, it's the question is, are you going to have children? Or I feel like now people at least ask the question, like, do you want kids? Where I know when we speak to our mothers, they both are like, oh, it was kind of expected that we were going to have children.
1: Um, No, I don't think. Yes, let me reframe that. I don't think I thought much about it um, until I felt like I wanted children. So when I was in my mid-twenties and I'd had several degrees under my belt and was and had a really strong career, um, I think I suddenly woke up one morning and thought, yeah, I'd like to have kids. But it wasn't one of those, you know, growing up at school, always wanting to be a mother. I think somewhere in the back of my head I thought maybe. But I grew up with a strong mother and sing, a strong single mother um, and a very strong grandmother role model. And so... Um, it, w- it, wasn't, it wasn't the focus of my life, but I'm something I don't regret for one moment having done. Yeah, I feel like that happens often.
2: And what about you, Lisa? What do you think about motherhood? Well, for me personally, it's not something
0: I particularly want right now. And when I get the question of, uh, do you want kids? And I give that response. Most of the time it's followed up with, you've still got time. You'll change your mind. That sort of follow up, um, which I find quite interesting um and i and i receive that by men and women and i find it quite interesting because it's a sort of a pat on the head to say well that's understandable that you don't want it right now but wait till your ovaries warm up and you'll you'll get there eventually as if it's as if it's the the end goal
1: for any woman i find that so that that expression wait till your ovaries warm up so irritating if you you want kids you have them if you don't you don't you know and it's a very personal decision yeah i agree
2: Okay, so I want to jump into the juicy stuff and that being sexism in the workplace because as horrible as it is, I'm imagining and assuming that you have both experienced sexism in the workplace at some point. Um, However, I'm keen to hear about the
1: differences and how you both navigated it. Well, I can give you thousands of examples of sexism, but one that just came to mind then, as I said, I became a single parent um, with a two-year-old and a five-year-old and um, I was um, executive director of Pricewaterhouse in Canberra at that stage. And we used to have our partner meetings at seven o'clock in the morning. And one morning I said to the senior partner, I think it's time that um, the firm paid for my childcare in the mornings because you're requiring me to come to these meetings. And one of the other partners said, well, you chose to become a single parent. And I remember at the time saying, I don't, I have got no words for this, but I know that something's wrong. And if you were in government and said this, you wouldn't get away with it. And his response was, well, they go too far in government anyway. Now, that was only 30 years ago. Wow. So we have changed a little. That is quite remarkable. I can only
0: imagine that if I received some sort of commentary by that today, human resources would be on it and it would just be completely unacceptable. Um, The kind of sexism that I face is a little more subtle. Um, And so I've received a lot of mansplaining, Um, So I've got a, um, I've got academic qualifications in bioethics, which is quite niche. And yet I've had uh, former bosses try to explain to me bioethical concepts, despite the fact that they do not have any real academic or um, practical experience in it. So I find that quite interesting and probably the most personally hurtful one was when I just received a promotion and was told that it's no surprise that I received it because I'm rather pretty. And so it's a difficult form of sexism to combat because it's designed as a compliment, but is so inherently layered with assumptions and it's very degrading. Um, And in that instance, I found myself actually riling up and going to justify why I got the job and that it wasn't to do with looks. But then in the midst of speaking about degrees and experience and, Publications found myself again in this weird space of why am I justifying myself to you? So
1: I think that that self-justification um, piece is very important. I found that was something that I did a lot. I found I um, throughout my career I had to be the twelve. I had to have the twelve out of ten criteria, and whereas a lot of people, would, the men would have five out of ten, some men would have twelve out of ten but I always felt that I wouldn't apply for things or I wouldn't take on things unless I knew I could do it. And one of the things I think that you asked me what I'd do if I could sort of tell myself 30 years ago would that I'd stop trying to be a perfectionist. And it's something I still struggle with today. And I think that it trips, it certainly tripped me up because you're just trying so hard to get everything right and you actually don't need to.
2: Why do you, think that women overcompensate like that or why do you think we feel like this incessant need to prove ourselves
0: um i would say and it's something that my mother actually told me about that she faced a lot which is something um, was coined the imposter syndrome Mm. um and i from what she was telling me is that women feel it a lot more and it's basically you're worried that someone's going to catch you out that you don't quite know what you're doing um, and I think it's something that women carry a bit more, um, maybe because they always need to justify themselves or because of what you mentioned, Jenny, about, I've only got 10 out of 12 of the criteria for this job, whereas it generally a young male would have five out of 10 and think that they're a perfect candidate. Um, so I think it's maybe that might be one facet of it. What are your thoughts, Jenny? Yeah, I
1: think, I think the imposter syndrome is alive and well, and I think it's a, it's a powerful concept. Um, My sense of the imposter syndrome is also that we need to... Men do have the imposter syndrome as well. However, I think women have had to deal with it more covertly. So back to what you were saying about, you know, you could talk about your degrees and so on. I mean, I have seven or eight degrees, and every time I'd mention that, men would tell me I was boasting, but they would want to know because otherwise I couldn't come into the room. So it's always that tension between um the metaphorical pat on the head and that leads you i think internally to start doubting yourself which then gets back if you're trying to be a perfectionist you feel that you're an imposter and someone's going to find out one day you try harder you work harder and i think you get quite worn out so i think there's, there's a bit of a cycle that you can get on and i'm not sure that that has got any better over the ages i i would very much agree with that
0: um I think I think the only thing is that maybe some, and I can't generalize at all, some, peop- some women, some people might be more aware of this. And so I can only speak personally in that um, when I go for an interview, which like most people you're feeling anxious and nervous about, I have to train myself to f- put on the hat of a young, white, arrogant male and walk into the interview thinking that I am God's gift to this planet. Because if I don't, then I will just be me and I have all the insecurities and anxieties that every other person in the world faces. So that's the kind of headspace that I have to put on and I coin it that way because in my experience, that is
1: what young, white, arrogant men are like. That's quite clever, actually. That brings up two things for me. One is um, I've just, as you know, done three months on a Google Fellowship in Silicon Valley and um, we were looking a lot into the whole issue of bias in technology and A lot of the um, language and so on is written. All the coding and so on is done by young white males. And so there are so many biases there. What I have seen is people starting to call it, but it's not shifting the dial. But it brings me to the second point, which is about having discussion out in the open. And I think the thing that um, for me was, and you you mentioned, we talked a bit earlier about things like sexual harassment. I remember when the sexual harassment uh, policy came out in the 80s, i was doing my master's degree i was working full-time doing a full-time master's degree i was breastfeeding my first child and rather large and i remember that my supervisor never stopped making comments about my breasts and i didn't i knew that i felt uncomfortable but i didn't know what was wrong And then a poster came up saying, are you being sexually harassed? Is this, this and this happening? And I suddenly went, my God, that's what's happening. So I think we need to have the discourse. We've got to have all this stuff in the open and talk about it, not as a way of beating people up, but as people understanding it's actually not okay and you're not alone. And that sort of links in with the imposter syndrome too, because if you talk a lot about the fact that you're feeling underwhelmed, then you can start to open up the conversation about how like you're saying, you know, maybe you walk into an interview with a certain persona.
2: Yeah, it was interesting because going back to watching uh, the On the Basis of Sex film. I think just such that stark contrast and seeing what it was like and watching her question herself and then realising, oh, wow, it's because of women like that and because of those policies coming into play that, you know, Lisa and I and our generation and your daughter and your grandchildren, it's a different world. But yet at the same time I think we would both also, we were talking earlier about we've experienced sexual harassment but now it's just in a different manner. Mm. And yet when the thing I wanted to jump onto next was around this idea of, Uh, feminism and when people are like, I don't want to be a feminist or this idea that like women are angry if they're feminist, as opposed to just like, no, we just want to be respected and have equality because that's what we deserve. And the question I had for you, Jenny, was I found a quote of yours and it's Jenny Maraska believes that women need to understand their power, stand in that power and use it ethically. And recently we were at the Women's March and one of the speakers stated, and I quote, we're coming for your jobs because we can do them better. Now, do you feel that's an ethical use of power in your opinion?
1: Wow, complex question. Um, I think standing in your power and believing that you can do things when you can do them, that's an ethical use of power. Just taking someone's job because you think you can have it, that's not ethical use of anything. That's just saying, you know, I'm better than you, give me a job. I was just thinking then of um it it triggered it slightly off track but it it's something around ethical use of power and i can remember when i was um i was the deputy ceo of the federal finance department and spending a lot of time with cabinet and there were very few women and i was up at parliament house one day and john howard made this off the cuff mark that no women who worked at parliament house would wear trousers so every single senior woman without talking to each other the next day wore a pantsuit to work. And that for me is ethical use of power.
0: That's absolutely
2: brilliant. That is so cool. That's like what we're seeing in America where all the women are wearing white in solidarity or all of the actresses wear black and things like that. And it's those little things of women coming together. Yeah. But would you say that's feminism to you? Like this idea around like fuck all men, let's take their jobs. We can do it better. Because I personally don't believe that, but I'd love to hear your stance. Or when you were 30, were you thinking to yourself, You're, you know what, screw men. I want your job. I could be better at it.
1: No, interestingly enough, I wasn't. And and in many ways, there, was, there were a generation of women before me who I knew. So, you know, women such as Anne Summers and Meredith Edwards and all those women, they were – they were all wonderful women and I was lucky enough to be living in Canberra and I knew them all and I was sort of the, the, the neophyte in the group. But I would listen to their debates and I would listen to their anger and I would listen to their passion and the struggles they were having. And then I would just go to work and slide into the world I was in without really kind of taking it with me. And I think the labelling in some ways brought it power, but at the same time it, it brought it down. And so for me, it was the actions. The words helped, but what was the most important thing was role modelling, actions, seeing what was possible. And I think the trouble with labelling is sometimes people use it as an excuse to not do. So I always look at what are you actually doing that's different? How are you creating equality? Because I think that it's about um, individual difference and, it's, and we shouldn't make any judgments on gender or or race or any of those things. And I feel very strongly about that.
0: Um, Well, I was at that rally with Nat and I was excited because it was my first ever Women's March and I would definitely say that I am a feminist. But I felt very disconnected in that moment when that was said because that is not how I personally view um, the women's rights movement. That is not how I view equality. I personally am not trying to get my male boss's job I personally don't think I can do it better on the basis of being a woman. Um, and I think that the only way right now to move forward and to get equality is to get everyone on board. at one In one sort of stroke, we want to say, men, this is a man's problem. You need to get on board and fix it. But with the other hand, we are saying we're coming after your job. So I think there needs to be a bit more of a unity in our approach and in inclusion because it's not just a women's issue anymore. And I think that's been really established and it's everyone's issue in order to get equality
1: and so that's just my personal disconnect yeah. from it. You know it really hit me I remember um, I have a son and a daughter and I was a very strong feminist um, and I was teaching physics and I was one of the only two physics teachers in the ACT that were qualified and we t- I was teaching year 11 and 12 and we started up an all-girls physics class and I was so proud of that and my son came home from primary school where they had an all-girl maths class. And I thought that was great. And he said, Mum, they're so sexist. And suddenly I had to put a different hat and a different lens on and look at how do we optimise one without taking from the other and how do we balance. And it really opened my eyes up. And I've tried to bring my son and my daughter up to both see people as people. And fortunately I have a son who calls himself a feminist (laughs)
2: But that's exactly what Leah and I were talking about. Like I don't think saying like fuck all men and demeaning men will do it any better because if there was a man's march and they were like, you know, women, we're coming for your jobs, we can do it better, everyone would be losing their shit and we would just not stand for that. And so it's kind of like where do you find that nice balance? And I understand that you need to go so far to then come back to middle ground but also I don't think you get there because – You know, I have a great father, I have a wonderful brother, and I certainly don't want to be like, oh, well, you're not as good as me just because of,
1: yeah. All right. But we also need, you know, I think we need people to take very strong outside perspectives as well, and that's not who I am. It doesn't mean I don't admire it. So I think we do need people to fight for their ideals and to fight strongly and take extreme positions because um, that then allows us to look at all options.
2: You said... uh You said earlier that you don't think we yet have equality. What do you think we could be doing better? Like, I mean, in in some way, you're passing the baton to our generation, to your grandchildren's generation.
1: Um, No, I think we're all responsible. I don't think it's a generational issue. I think everyone has to do it. And I think we just start seeing people as people and seeing all the gifts that they bring. and, And, you know, gifts differing. We all bring something to the mix.
0: Um, I guess one big barrier that I see in my generation specifically, and that's I guess all I can really speak to, is that a lot of women I know do not want to call themselves feminist and they reject the label um, while still enjoying the benefits of the feminist movement. And so that for me is a really, I, I was first angry, but now I've just become a bit sad about it because I think how can you say you're not a feminist and yet you would get upset if your male counterpart was earning more than you? And I think it's become this really unsexy term that if you label yourself a feminist, you're somehow not attractive to men or you're seen as a radical or you're seen as, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, just something that doesn't fit what, how they want to view themselves. And I think that's a bit upsetting.
1: And that's the dilemma of language because language changes over time. So perhaps the meaning of feminism 40 years ago, 10 years ago are now completely different. And I think if you go to different countries, you'll get different Um, views and and so I guess it's it's how do we use language that's inclusive and that that people understand and I think that's really hard and again I come back to this you have to talk about it so if somebody says what do you mean you're a feminist then I think it it gives you an opportunity to open up the discussion.
2: So how did you also raise your children for your son to say I'm a feminist for your daughter to be a strong-willed like what language did you use or what strategies did you enforce with them?
1: Well, it's interesting because I reflect on that with them now because, of course, with the imposter syndrome, I decided that I must have been a hopeless mother because I went straight back to work and I somehow breastfed them both for 10 months but was working full-time and in an executive role. So that's where things have changed. We did not have rooms for mothers anywhere. Um, but I think modelling, and um, I've had a lot of chats with my kids and I say, you know, when I dragged you off here or we did there, and all this rhetoric about, you know, quality, not quantity. But I always thought it was bullshit. I always thought I wasn't giving them enough time. I think um, you just be the best person you can be and you try. And, you know, I have this strong view on relationships that you a good relationship is one that ruptures and repairs, not that is nice all the time. And I think if you can do that with your kids, there'll be days when you want to strangle each other and there'll be days when you adore each other. And, you know, that's life. That's such a funny thing, those days you want to strangle each other.
2: Um, I like that and I think it's completely true and I know I was raised with a single mother and I feel like she never really complained about being a single mother, like in terms of she she had tough times for sure but like you're saying, she just got it done. Mm. So what do you think actually when you hear mothers – of today and it's not to label anything or to go down that path of saying anyone's doing it wrong but you did get so much done and that's the thing I love every time we talk I always say to Lisa afterwards I'm like oh my god did you know Jenny did that or did you know she also fit that into her life or how did she do that and how did you find that balance in what I guess majority people might listen to this and be like wow she seems like she was a woman who really had it all
1: I think that you give up a lot of things and you just make choices so every step I took there was a choice so I look at things that my daughter does now and she makes different choices in certain areas. And I think like your mother, you're not conscious of it. You just put one foot in front of the other. But I can remember years later, somebody said to me, why didn't you marry again? And I I got quite a shock because I thought I didn't even think about it. I was too busy getting on with life. And, you know, I, I had a PhD scholarship at Stanford and I didn't take it because I had two children. So... You do make choices, but do I regret that? No, I could go back and do it now if I wanted to. So I think life is always about choice. It doesn't matter whether, you've got, whether you're have got, a single parent, whether you've got children, no no partner, no children. And the point is that you make mistakes. We, half, the, half the things I did, perhaps I would have done differently, but I didn't and it doesn't really matter. And I think that's important.
2: Every time. And then I had a PhD scholarship at Stanford. I love that. It's amazing, Jenny. Um One thing I wanted to ask, do you think it's easier to be a woman today?
1: I think it's different. I don't think it's easier or harder. I just think it's very different.
2: In what sense?
1: I think there are a lot more freedoms and at the same time a lot less support in other ways and perhaps a lot more expectations. So I was unusual. I was probably one of a very small cohort doing what I did, whereas I think many women today are expected to do all the things that I did. And I think, um, yeah, I just think you have less choice in 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 a funny kind of way.
0: Yeah, I would say that the experiences we have right now as women are vastly different and much more broad, I would say, than perhaps what I looked at my mother and her choices. But in relation to, I guess, the fight for equality, there's also dip fundamental differences now. Like mm-hmm. one thing that I find interesting is the response to today's feminist movement by those who don't want to be on board is not all men. Um, and it's an interesting, I wouldn't call it a backlash, but it's an interesting sort of rebuttal to the fight for equality. And I'm not sure what did, did was that sort of pushback around you know, in the previous decades when, I guess, you were
1: Yeah, look, or... I think I, that's what I don't think's changed. I think the flavour of it's changed. But certainly um, as I pursued my career, you know, the number of people that said to me, you know, you should be staying at home with your children. What are you doing working? I mean, I had that so many times. And then another time I remember giving a, a talk at a, a women's meeting with a whole lot of um, government people and... Um, it was to a women's group but there were quite a few men there and the men all came up afterwards and said, that was fabulous, can we join? You know, so you could, you'd go from one extreme to the other. So the content might be a bit different. The term feminism and being a feminist, I think it's been around for so long and so many people interpret it differently. Some people were pilloried, some people were celebrated and I think we still have that and I still... I still it seems to go in waves um, and I think we just have to get past that. I think we have to act... Rather than worry about the language. Not that, but I, I think language is important. I'm not denying that whatsoever. I think we can, that can be used as a barrier to action. And I think action's utterly critical.
0: I've, I can say I've definitely benefited because today when I go into a job interview, when I've put my arrogant white male hat on, I don't look at the other people going for the job and think, oh, if there's a man going, then I don't have as good a chance. So that's not something that's ingrained in my mind, which I think is absolutely amazing and a direct result of every woman before me who fought to have that not happen. So there's aspects of my life career wise that are so much easier um, because of that. And that's something that I thoroughly enjoy living through and not having to worry. But then, as I mentioned before, there are still those holding positions of power and authority in the workplace who have inherent sexism Like telling you you're pretty or mansplaining or in one instance I've received a very inappropriate photo from someone in the workspace. So these little things that happen but no one would ever go so far as to say you can't do this because you're a woman or you're going to do it less because we've now said in a inner city Sydney society because I can't generalize for the rest of the world that that is just unacceptable anymore?
1: You know, it's interesting because I've walked all around the world and one of the things I think that is is very different um, now is that when I – probably for the first 25 years of my working life, 99.9% of the people I worked with were men anyway. And so I didn't go for a job interview, for example, and think I can't get it because I'm a woman. I just didn't think about it because – the women actually weren't there. And I think the really good thing is that the women are there now. And I remember recently running a conference for young women in finance and just looking at the sheer numbers at the tables. And I, I remember once going to a conference of 200 people in the construction industry and I was a speaker and I was the only woman there. And the men said, my God, you're the only woman. And I said, yes. And they said, but we've never noticed before because there's never been a woman here. So, you know, that, that awareness is starting to shift for sure.
0: I would agree. And my benefit now is that because there are more women in senior executive sort of positions, they become mentors. Mm -hmm. And I've really, really benefited from having some amazing female and male mentors in my life. Um, I've also experienced from both men and women the opposite, where they try and push you down or they don't allow you to grow. Um, I think that's a representation of them rather than me. But I think mentorship now is really important. And I, even though I'm quite early on in my career, I manage small teams. I still try and provide mentorship, professional development wherever I can because I've been so fortunate uh, to receive it. And so I think it's my responsibility to pass it down. And I think anyone who has had the privilege of receiving mentorship should be passing it down.
1: What are your thoughts? Oh, I absolutely agree. Well, um, I'm involved with something called mentor walks. And once a month we walk, um, there are about 20 of us that were set up by um, Bobby Marlab and Naomi Simpson. And we walk with women for an hour from the Opera House. And they bring – we have two or three per person and they bring a series of issues and we just walk and talk. And I've always mentored women and I, I think that's critical. I do it both professionally and personally. And um, and I was just thinking of, it, you know, one mentoring. I, I didn't really ever have mentors, but I had an incident once at the Academy of Science and um, it was a conference and i was the only female presenter and we went to the dinner afterwards and we had colored labels according to whether you were a wife or a presenter and i had the presenter color and someone came up to me and asked me what my husband uh, what paper my husband was giving and i remember one of the most senior people of the academy just stepping in and saying jenny is presenting on so and so and it was it wasn't really mentoring in that sense but it was someone in that moment recognizing because my mouth was probably wide open with shock just normalizing something and sort of not pushing the other person on but hey, he had my back and I think that's the thing as a woman it's really important that we have other women's backs so I think the mentoring the support is absolutely critical and I think that is something that's changed in the last 30 years the awareness of that and the existence of that.
2: Do you think it happens often
1: enough though? Oh, it can never happen often enough.
2: Yeah, because I know from Lisa coming home and the the experiences we talk that she's had through and I think she's had, and she won't say it herself, but she has become a great mentor and uh, manager, leader, etc. because she also experienced really horrible leadership um, and mentorship from a woman though. Well, I should say lack of mentorship really. Yeah, but I, I completely agree with you, Jenny, that women
0: need to stick together. They need to help each other out and... I find that that doesn't happen enough sometimes. I feel that women could be doing more for other women rather than picking at each other or bringing each other down or judging each other. And I think that more solidarity in any community is going to only help towards bettering that community or that
1: subset of people. Absolutely. And and one of the things I've started, and I think anybody that's listening to this podcast, it's a very easy thing to do, is I created something I call Women's Circles. And you get together with half a dozen people and um, I used to get do it in boardrooms formally and get different people to sponsor it, leave your card at the door, just be yourself in the room and just talk about your issues in a safe space. And I now have a group of um, women colleagues and we've been doing it for 12 years. We have a breakfast once a month and it's just a time where it's a safe space to talk about anything. And it's or you can do it at lunch, you can do it in the evening, you can do it with a bunch of friends. But I think women do that really well and they... I would challenge every woman to go out there and create that safe space for other women. It's an easy thing to do and it doesn't take a lot of time.
2: Do you find that there are common themes that generally come each week?
1: It's unbelievable um i've I've, for instance with some of the boardroom lunches we just decide well this this week we're going to talk about gerontology and suddenly we've got you know the chief gerontologist from one of the hospitals there we've got someone who's just had to go through it with their parents and we've got somebody else who's you know head of head of the office of gerontology in government and they just sort of it's amazing the the synchronicities that will occur when you put a group of women together and the knowledge the depth that women have
2: what is gerontology aging. Oh, right.
0: <laughs> um, I've got some friends um, who I studied law with who are now working in law firms and I've, I've shared my experiences of great mentorship and also a lack of mentorship, but they've shared experiences with me that I've never actually experienced, which is basically the senior partners who are women have this mentality that because they did it tough, because they had to fight through really hard times, that they will not let down the ladder they will not give someone a rope and it's kind of a rite of passage for young female lawyers to have to deal with the sex and they sexism they dealt with the harassment anything the hardships and i wonder it's a psychology that i can't really understand i can understand that i can't understand it but i still don't get it and i'm wondering if you've met women in senior positions who have that headspace and you might have some more insight about
1: it yeah um i've had i own- I've only really had one experience like that where I, the only – I've always had male bosses. I did, however, have a one female boss and it was a nightmare. It was exactly that scenario and I had I, – at the time I had no way – I didn't know how to deal with it. But since then it's interesting because I um, mentor a lot of these women and and I also mentor a lot of partners in law firms and it's interesting. I think there's a dichotomy because I also – have women who are partners who tell me they leave their jackets on their chairs so that the males still think they're at work even when they've gone, even though they're working long hours because they don't feel that they can be seen to not be in the office, that there's an extra bias. But I think your, your issue about not letting the ladder down, I think we just have to challenge that. When we see that, I think we have to say to women, you know, why? Why do you feel this is necessary? And really help them to unpack it. Because I think sometimes it's unconscious behaviour. And a lot of it's learnt, especially in law firms, a lot of it's learnt from the male behaviour. You know, in any senior position, you know, I got here by hard work, so you will too. But if we can flip that attitude into mentoring and kindness and support, then that is, if those people become mentors, then they're incredible mentors.
0: I completely agree.
2: It's so interesting listening to you both talk because you have such similar and such different experiences. And it's kind of like throughout time, these common threads still run through Mm -hmm. and you still face these little things along the way. And I had um, one of the listeners wrote to me and said, I'd love to hear from both of you how to also deal with adversity. So I understand in terms of you guys go to work and something happens, but, you know, now you have such a stronger voice, for example, Jenny. Uh, Lisa, you have definitely cultivated that within yourself in the workplace and you're aware of when how people can and cannot push you, but what is your best advice or when it happens for you, how you deal with that adversity, whether it is from a man or a woman?
1: I think the thing that I have had to learn to do is not to react in the moment because when I have thought, well and it's triggered, and I've learned a lot to know that it triggers your shadow side and you come out of a space that's not the most useful or helpful. I think I've learned some... One of the, the best training I ever did was for Senate Estimates where we had to sit in front of the ministers and answer curly questions. And so you learn to say things like, can I just take that on notice? Can I get back to you? Or not that I'm aware. And so it's helped me to get that breathing space and because I'm such a high energy person and a quick thinker, sometimes I go into immediate problem solving and I've learnt that actually that may not be what's required and I get myself into a lot of trouble. And the second thing for me is that I need to get a lot of exercise and I meditate and it might sound trite but they're the things that have kept me sane. Sleep wasn't so easy as a single parent but I always managed to get in the exercise and the meditation And um, that gives me perspective. So what I try to do now is just get away and reflect on it and then go back. And you can always go back. And you might make a mistake, but go back and try again. And perfect example was I was on a board, all men, very, very senior, very high public um, people, and they all swore the whole time. And I was just being railroaded. And so I tried to swear in the same way they did. And suddenly the temperature changed in the room and I couldn't work out why. And 10 years later, one of them told me they thought I was taking the piss out of them. I was so scared and I'm a good girl. I had a big smile on my face while I was doing it and they just thought I was mocking them. So, you know, that was be yourself, be authentic, I think. Don't try and be what you're not.
0: I agree with all of that. So I'm, as you both might be very well aware, I'm a very emotional person, but for me to not react takes a lot of, uh, willpower and through trial and many many errors i 've learned to not react, um, however, I think it also depends because i i've tried a balance between not reacting, pausing, reflecting, but also taking the moment to call out bad behavior um, and then sometimes just laughing because sometimes there 's just not much you can do in a situation and if it isn 't going to have a long term impact and you you're not, you don't see a point in really calling out a behavior to not let it bring you down. You have to laugh it off. Um, one example I give, which is again, a very subtle form of just weird behavior that I received from, um, a former male colleague was I was recruiting for a position. He wanted to, um, apply for the role. He called me in for a meeting into a a conference room. I sat down just normally, he sat down, then proceeded to put both his legs up on the table, lean back in, into his chair with his arms behind his head, and then to tell me how well, how much better he would be at the job than anyone else, and how he has similar qualifications to me, and, you know, just proceeded to be the most arrogant person I've ever met. And in that moment, I could have called his behavior out, I could have asked him to be a bit better, but I just, on the inside, I laughed. And it happened after I was called, I was told I was pretty, and that's why I got a job where I reacted in that instant. And so it's just, I would say to anyone, it's hard and it's unfortunate that we have to be making these decisions, but take it on a case by case approach and also speak to other women. Yeah. Just reach out and speak and ask and seek advice because you're not going to learn this by yourself. Ask for other people's experiences
1: and where they went wrong, what they did right. And use it. I think that's... I have, so, I have a few really good friends that are my sort of safe debriefing. My, my women's circles are one and then I have some friends and I think we all need that. And um, I think it's... It, like you, I can, I can react very quickly and sometimes it just isn't worth the effort. You have to make a judgment and sometimes you'll get it right and sometimes you won't. And I think that's that other thing about um, the imposter syndrome if we get it wrong, we beat ourselves up a lot more, I think, than, than, than men. Just let it go.
2: That's what I think is so funny, though. The more I have these conversations with women, the more I realize how much women have to like, think and deliberate and how should I respond. Whereas like, if I have asked men these, they're like, what do you mean? I don't have to, like, I don't, they don't question themselves. They don't question their reactions. And I think that's really funny. And also something that I have definitely loved learning, being married to Lisa. Obviously, I've never been in a corporate space in the same way both of you have. And you'll both recount stories today. And I'm like, what do you mean? Where does that happen? What's going on? Uh, So before I ask my final question, Jenny, where can
1: everyone find you? Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on my website. Website. And you can find me on my email which is jenny ma at maresca everyone's gonna be like can i come on a mental walk with you um and for you both
2: you're standing in front of a room of ten thousand women and you're able to offer one piece of advice what would you say
1: be true to yourself Lisa? i would say
2: band together i love it thank you both so much for joining me today this has been exponentially always a learning experience when i'm hanging out with you both so thank you so much for joining me Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Modern Women. You can listen to all of our episodes over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. If you're not already subscribed, please do click that subscribe button now so you don't miss any episodes that come out each week. If you enjoyed this podcast or you took something away from it, taking two minutes to leave a five-star review or post a story review on Instagram and tag me in it so that we can continue to share these incredible stories with more women who need to hear this message. Original music by Chunky Love and produced by Podpaste.